three chairs. Uh, Pastor, what, what do we look at three chairs? Well, when you think about chairs, chairs are very important and they're very valuable. There's a lot of meaning associated with chairs. Uh, we call a person who, who is leading an organization or a meeting, they're the chairperson. They're, we, when you're the best musician in the band, you're, you sit in the first chair. Uh, and, and you know, when uh, dad probably has one of these somewhere in the house, and if you're smart, you don't sit in it because it's dad's chair. Probably around your table, everybody has their chair. Isn't it interesting how we find that? In church, we have our chairs, don't we? And we kind of like them, and they're our chairs. It's it. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. And, you know, so, so <laughs> chairs have, uh, you know, one of the great things about a growing church is you have to learn to share your chair. Come on, tell somebody that. Say, I will share my chair. Come on, because, see, somebody doesn't know it's your chair. We're going to be happy they sat there, aren't we? Amen. So <clears throat> then, you know, we have a situation that happened right here in Alabama to show you the significance of where you sit. There was a little lady named Rosa Parks who one day decided, you know, my chair is not in the back of the bus. My chair should be anywhere on this bus. And so you see the importance of chairs. They make great differences. And then where did king sit? On a throne. You know, they chairs. So today, I want to take three chairs, and I want to show you something about these three chairs. Now, these, if these signs are good signs, they're going to stay where I put them. So the first chair is commitment. We want to talk about that. Then we want to talk about this middle chair. You notice it's the easy chair. It's sometimes called the lazy boy. That's the chair of compromise. And then we have this third chair called conflict for that side, all right? conflict. So we have commitment, we have compromise, we have conflict. Interesting scenario. I want you to think about what these three chairs represent. We understand what commitment. Commitment means that's a place of dedication. It's a place where we start our faith in God. It's where our spiritual journey begins. It's where a marriage starts. It's where every relationship begins with commitment, dedication, promises, vows, pledges, the intentions of are the highest. Compromise is a place in any relationship where uh, our vow or commitment or dedication where we begin to allow what we said we would do in the beginning slide. It's a mix of good and bad. Compromise is where we step back from our commitments and we drift a bit. Conflict is the result of compromise. If we stay in the chair of compromise long enough, we'll always end up in this chair of conflict in our life. Why this downward digression? What causes life, marriage, our faith to somehow slide this direction? What are the causes of that? This, this is some of the things we want to understand today. I've got a lot of Scripture that I want to give you, so I hope you'll keep your Bibles open, your devices on, and let's look at this. Why? Why commitment, compromise, conflict? What, what's the pattern? And why does that happen so, unfortunately, so common in our journey in life? Well, let's begin reading. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. The Bible says, Do not love the world. Or anything in the world. That's the system. The world system, alright? It says, don't be in love with this world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
So, so what are we talking about here? Let's establish from the beginning we're talking about our heart, about what we love. Everybody with me? Say amen. Okay. For everything in the world. So what, what, cons- what makes up, what comprises the world system? Now, the Bible says we're in this world, right? But we're just not of it. How many get that? Right? We're in it. We're in this world. We go to work. We go to school. We, we live in this world. But we're not of this world. So how would you define the system that we live in, but we're not to fall in love with? How would you define that? Well, the Bible gives us three things that are very clear. So it says, what, what are, for everything in the world is what? The cravings of sinful man or the lust of the flesh, our carnal nature. That's part of the world. The carnal fallen nature of man. All right? That's one. Number two, the lust of his eyes. Everything I see, I want. That's part of this system. Right? Now, we, we, do, we do not have just one shopping channel on the cable system. We have multiple shopping channels. And, and, and we've almost been taught that if you see it, you should want it. So there's the, what comprises the system we live in? A fallen system. The carnal nature of man, our sinful nature. Then the lust of our eyes. If I see it, I want it. Uh, wanting what other people have. Always looking at, you know, somebody said one time, uh, you should be careful sometimes if the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. When you get there, it might be on top of their septic system. There are a lot of things that look good at a distance. I say it this way sometimes, my years of counseling people that want to get married. And that's good, but you just need to be careful about those hidden septic tanks. Because sometimes when you get what you want, you don't want what you got. Okay, so you have to be careful about what you see. Then the third thing we read here, not only is it the the craving of the sinful nature, the lust of the eyes, but look at this. The boasting of what he has and does. King James says the pride of life. Pride. Boasting and pride. So we live in a system based off of that. Now, what do we read? Uh, this does not come from the Father, but from the world. So how do we remain committed in a world system like this? All right, we can do this. The world and its desires, watch this, what happens? The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. So we live in a system, and the Bible says we must be careful that we do not fall in love with a fallen system. Because it's going to pass away, but the man or woman of God lives forever. So let's go to chapter 4 in 1 John. We're in that neighborhood. Chapter 4 and verse 4 says, You, dear children, are from God. Thank God, right? You are from God and have overcome them. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So the good news for us is that although we live in a fallen world, the one that lives in us is greater than this world. Come on, how many can say amen to that? So we can live a life to honor and please God. But here's what happens. So what causes this digression, this shifting from commitment to compromise, to conflict. Why? Why does that happen? Because of the world we live in. Because of those three things we just read. What is that? Well, there's the pull of my carnal nature. See, we believe that Cody and these four ladies that, that have completed this program, they are here today because they've been set free by Jesus Christ. 
See, people try to convince us all the time, and I probably shouldn't go there and mess up, get you upset with me at the beginning of this message, but see, we do not believe. Our belief in our recovery ministries is that Jesus Christ can, listen to me, can forgive you and deliver you from whatever holds you and heal you from wherever you're breaking, broken and fill you with the Holy Spirit and make you a brand new person. We believe in forgiveness, deliverance, healing, and the power of God to fill your life. So here's what we tell these men and women. You are not born to be an addict. You are just born with a carnal nature. Like everyone in this room. How many are listening to me? Everyone in this room born with a carnal nature. It's not that you're born to be an addict. You're carnal. We're carnal. Our nature left to ourselves is to sin. So that pulls on us. But the good news is when we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit moves in our life, and greater is He that is in you on the inside than the pull at you from this world. But you have to learn to walk with His grace in your life. So, so why do we slide like this? The pull of the flesh, the, the enticement of the world, what we see, and the pride around us. So, so what happens? Watch this. I want to give you three words. What causes this digression? Exposure to a fallen system. The environment that we live in, listen to this word, consumption, the things we consume. And that becomes my choice. See, if I'm sitting in the chair of commitment and I begin to consume, fill myself, feed myself on everything that is feeding my carnal nature, feeding the lust of my eyes, and pulling on my pride, if I'm consuming, if my consumption is in the world, I'm going to begin to slide into this chair. If I want to remain here, I have to pay attention to what I eat. And I'm not talking about my food. I'm talking about what goes in here, what comes in here, what goes in here. I have to make sure I'm in the right environment, in the right place, eating the right things. You ready? I call it a war of attrition. The Bible says to two churches uh, in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation 3, the church in Laodicea, God says to them, He says, uh, I have a problem with you. He said, I know your deeds, that you started off right here in this chair of commitment, and you did the right things. Listen to me. He's talking to a church, it's you and me. Come on, t- punch somebody and say he's talking to us. Now, pardon me, don't punch. Lightly touch. You must be careful of what you say. This is a letter to a church, not the bar, not the club, the church. And he said, you were sitting in a chair of commitment doing good stuff. But he said, along the way, you became lukewarm. He told a church in Revelation 2, another church, that he said, you've become lukewarm. He said that you have left your first love. So now, we see, this compromise chair is where I say, oh, I love Jesus. So you can be sitting in a chair of compromise. Are you ready? On a Sunday morning. It could be one of those chairs out there right now. See, because commitment says, I love the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to do what He says. I'm going to put Him first in my life. And so that's commitment. And that's commitment as long as I did what I said. But after a while, if we're not careful, we get over in this chair and say, well, you know, I mean to do that. I'm planning on doing that. I'm going to get around to that. And, uh, and you know, I've, I've been listening to some of my friends. And, you know, 
what do you listen? Okay. I've been listening, and, you know, they were telling me that, that I don't have to do all that to serve the Lord. I need to just chill out, and I need to relax, and I'm way over the top on this Jesus thing. And, you know, God knows, and God understands, and God is good, and He loves everybody. And, 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 and you know, if I, I don't have to be so vigilant about this. I mean, you know, I used to love to go to church, but, you know, God knows I need rest. Well, if you would stay up so late on Saturday night, you would need more rest on Sunday morning. Eh? I'm just trying to break it down truthfully here. And so this this little chair is the easy chair. I mean, it, you know, tell you the truth, this chair is more comfortable than that commitment chair over there. You know what I'm saying? Like I got me a little cup holder here, and I think I could kick back, I think. And, yeah, this is good. You know, it's good. You know what I believe I'm going to do today? I believe I'm just going to... Uh, I, I realize now that, that you know, moderation is good in all things. And I, I need to ease up on this Bible reading. You know, I mean, I need to read some other things. And, and uh, you sit there. And after a while, you know what? You, you, you don't have... You, you start wondering, what in the world has happened around here? You know, I, I it's just, you know... My family used to get along, and kids don't want to go to church with me anymore. And you know, it, it, it used to be okay. And, and you know, I'm over here. It just seems like just seems like I'm on a ship, just rolling all over the place. And I can't get my hold on anything anymore. I try to take one step forward, and I got three steps back. And you know, it seemed like my life's just unstable. I'm just in conflict, just like a hurricane going over here. I don't have enough money to pay the bills, and things don't seem to be going right over here. But how did I get in this place? Because what started as a commitment and ended in a compromise always ends up in conflict in your life. You know, it's things that we wouldn't allow in, it's things we, we, we didn't participate in, and the things we said, this is just not healthy, it's not legalism, it's love for God. Remember, he says, it's what do you love this world or do you love God? To the church, he said, I don't have a problem with what you do, but what happened to you is you don't love me like you used to love me. You've lost your first love. And then he said, you became lukewarm. And he said, how do you become lukewarm? Well, you had it. You were hot, but you mixed enough cold with hot and you get lukewarm. And after a while, you're over here in this place in your life. See, these things just begin to happen. It's a war of attrition. It's a battle for your heart. Let, let me explain it, and, and, and I've, I've got to just stay on my stuff here. But, you know, right here in commitment, see, this is where the United States of America began. I know they're trying to rewrite our history and all of the books, but, but listen to me, and, and, and I'm going to tell you the truth, because I'm, I'm going to be back again next week, all right? I mean, I can't lie to you today. And go off somewhere. So how did the United States begin? We began as a nation committed to God. Pilgrims sailed across the Atlantic Ocean primarily for freedom of worship. In our Constitutional Congress, the men prayed and sought God. When they couldn't make a decision, they finally had to pull a three-day fast and pray and seek the Lord. And that's the environment that the Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights was written in. They said this republic that they designed under the care of God was never designed to work without God-fearing people and the awareness of God to make it happen. I don't care what anyone tells you. 
This is a Christian nation. It was founded on the Word of God. Now, listen to me closely. When I say this is a Christian nation, it doesn't mean we hate or don't like or don't want anybody that's not a Christian. The reason that there can be people of other faiths or no faith in this country is because we are a Christian nation. And you have that opportunity. But this nation that began committed to God, this nation that honored the Lord like many nations begin to slide, begin to move, begin to move in the wrong direction. And, and in fact, this was a nation where our money says, in God we trust, which is from a psalm. And this is a nation where we used to stand up without worrying about it and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. One nation under God. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. One nation under God on our flag. Listen, if you put it on your money, you mean it. On our money. But now what's happened to us? We started committed to God, trusting in God. We, we, we honored God. But then we, we, we made a little, this little thing the Bible talks about in Romans 1 started happening to us. Let me sit where I'm supposed to sit. As I start reading this in Romans chapter 1. So we find this in this chair of compromise. I want you to read the sign while you listen. And so we find this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since, listen, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Romans 1.19, Romans 1.20 now. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Ready? For although they knew God... Right there. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But they knew Him. But they said, we're not going to honor God and we're not going to thank Him. We're going to take the credit for all that we've done in this nation. But their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Compromise has begun. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Clear language. I'm just reading the Bible. There's a digression when we begin to walk away from what we know is true to fit what we want to do in our lives. And they exchanged. That's a willing transaction. They weren't robbed. They made an exchange. They looked at what was in their hand and decided they would give that away because they wanted something in its place. Okay? And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles, idols. Therefore, we have free will. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Now watch this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It's called compromise. And worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who's forever praised. So they began to compromise in their life. But 
you know it never stops there. So now let's keep reading. What happened to the culture of this nation? Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. He didn't create it. He let them have it. You want it? I can't stop you. You compromise. What's the result? Shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. It's called conflict. It's called chaos. It's the fruit of compromise. In the same way, and let me keep reading, men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the penalty for their perversion. You say, well, Pastor, come on, man. This is pretty rough. We came for Sunday morning. You, you know, we Give me a little, yeah, I'm okay. You're okay. Well, I know that middle chair is comfortable, but this third one's coming. See, can I tell you the truth? You know what that second chair is? That's a spiritual casino. That's a gamble you're going to lose every doggone time you sit there. That's a gamble. And I'm going to tell you, you can't afford to pay the bill when it comes due. That's a gamble. That's a gamble. Because what starts with commitment and moves to compromise will end with conflict every single time. Now, what we have to say, does that mean that we don't love someone who's gotten caught in this trap of conflict and confusion? Of course we do. Does that mean that one person says they're better than another person? Of course not. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And sin exhibits itself in many ways. There are people that aren't addicted to drugs and alcohol, but their addictions are just as strong and they need just as much deliverance as somebody that's trapped in those things. It's very clear from this Scripture that homosexuality is not something God created, nor is it something that God condones, nor is it something that God approves of. But I don't read that God hates these people and that God says the church should hate these people or that we should not extend the love of God. But at the same time, the Bible says you should know the truth and the truth will set you free. And for the church to back up and acquiesce and give in and say, well, who are we to say? It's not who are we to say, it's who did God say? What did God say? And that keeps you out of the chair of conflict in your life. Because where does it end? Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder and strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips. Well, I told you there could be some of these chairs sitting in the church house. I just didn't put names on them today because I know who sits everywhere. Well, They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Hmm. Listen to this. They disobey their parents. Some parent ought to, well, give me one of those on that. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decrees. That those who do such things deserve death, 
they not only continue these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Conflict is a result of a nation that turns their back on God. Our educational institutions have followed the same pattern. Do you know that all the Ivy League colleges who now become bastions of liberalism and anti-God theories, do you know that they were founded as seminaries to train pastors to preach the gospel in our early colonization? But they moved to compromise and they're so conflicted today, they don't know what they believe in those places anymore. Commitment, compromise, conflict. Denominations were founded. Every denomination that exists in America today, every grouping of churches were all founded in revivals. If you study church history, every denomination in this country started out of a revival. But somewhere along the way, compromise, and now today, conflict, there are things being sanctioned and ordained and approved in church buildings in this nation today that would cause the founders of those denominations to literally shudder in the fear of Almighty God. Cause of this digression. 2 Timothy 3 says that, that they have a form of godliness but deny His power. And so in the place of the power and the reality of God, we devise ritual and substitutes that ultimately brings the church to a place where we are afraid to even preach the Bible, tell the truth, and believe that God will do what He said if we preach His Word. So we just are in conflict. But all that is interesting and it's not pretty, but I've got a minute here, so let's get personal before I'm done. Because we talked about the nation and the denominations and our institutions, but, you know, what today is, is a blessing for us. It's, it's, you know, when we take communion, the Bible says, examine your heart. See, God wants us. To be committed. He wants to bless us. He wants to keep us from this slide in our life. And so He gives us opportunities. It's called the working and the conviction of the Holy Spirit to put a mirror up the Word of God in front of our life and say, hey, let's take another look here. See, we're, we're blessed with this opportunity. So let's, let's make it very personal. The last couple of minutes here. And let's look at a family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Abraham was the founder, committed, a relationship with God. God called him out of a foreign heathen country and, and said, Abraham, if you walk with me, I'll make your name great. I'll make a great nation out of you. And Abraham had his ups and downs, but he arrived there until he became the father of those who have faith. He inherited the promise of God. He received the son of promise. He, he was a man of commitment, a man that, that, that led his life and honored God. But then... There's this thing, guys. Listen to me, parents, potential parents. Listen to me today. There's this situation throughout Scripture where we see a generation of commitment, but a fumble on handing off the baton of commitment from one generation to the next. Mom and Dad, it's not enough just to bring the kids to church with you. You've got to bring Jesus home with you. <laughs> they have to see reality and how we live. 
And so Abraham starts, but Isaac, Isaac is the miracle child. He, he's born of a promise, but we, we watch his life, and he, he gets in a little trouble, and uh, he moves over to the Philistines, which he moved to the wrong neighborhood, chose the wrong circle of friends, pull of the world, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And began to pull on Isaac, and he said, man, we're over here at the Philistines, and old King Abimelech, you know, he's a rough dude. And, and he looked at his wife, and all of a sudden, his father's mistake that he had been gotten over, his son repeats it. He said, let's just tell them you're my sister, so they won't kill me to get to you. So Abimelech finds out, said, what in the world do you do, man? That's your wife. I don't know how anybody calls that, but I would call that some compromise. So they're spared from that. But then inside this house, some compromise begins because twin sons were born, but Esau was first and Jacob was second. And, but mom, see, Rebecca, she favors the Jacob. And so in this house, this compromise starts, family, family favoritism and things out of order, a little lie here, a little twist there. You understand? I mean, it's a little, it's a little, see, it's a little easier to sit in this chair when, you, when you're scared or fearful, you know. Uh, you know, it's a little easier just to say, well, you know, I know I shouldn't do this, but, you know, I know I shouldn't tra- raise my family this way, but, you know, I'm busy, man. I got bills to pay. I got things to do. But then we get down to Mr. Jacob whose name means deceiver. This dude lives his life in conflict because of the compromise that started right there. First thing he does, you know, he steals his brother Esau's birthright. Conflict. He runs away. He goes to another place and he wants to marry this young lady, but, you know, her father tricks him and he marries the wrong sister conflict. He has to work another seven years. He worked seven years for the wrong girl. Come on, that's conflict. Oh, now you feel about that. that that's conflict. Then he woke up on the first day of his honeymoon and it was the wrong one. That's conflict. And then his father-in-law says, you work, I'll go ahead and let you marry the one you love. But you're going to have to promise me another seven years. Conflict. Come on. Then you got two sisters married to the same guy. Ludicrousy. Insanity. Then he wants to leave that place, and he has to run off and hide from his father-in-law. Conflict. Then he comes back, and now, oh, my God, I, don't, I can't live with, the, with Laban, my father-in-law, but I've got my brother Esau at home who wants to kill me. Conflict. Do you see the fruit of compromise as conflict? Do you know you don't have to get to this chair? You can stay in that chair. This chair looks easier sometimes. I understand that. This chair's the temporary fix sometimes. This will get you through the night, but it will ruin the rest of your life. This will help the next ten minutes, but it will ruin the next ten years. So when you're sitting here, yeah, it's not quite as comfortable as that chair sometimes, but just sit down. You know, I, I tell you what I wanted to put on here was a seat belt. Just belt yourself in. I mean, I've had some days, you understand what I'm saying? You know, if it falls over, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall, I'm going to just fall over it, but I'm staying in the chair. I'm not getting out of this chair. 
I'm locked in this chair. Because I know when I get to that one, what's on the other side? And you know it and I know it because we've all made that mistake before, haven't we? Everything I've said today, you got names and places and dates on these chairs, don't you? Come on, tell the truth. Tell the truth. But let me give you some good news today. We can see that process, this pull, this, this tug, this thing that's, that's working on us. See, this, this compromise chair is always pointing you right there. You don't stay here long. That one's coming every single time. It's a battle for your heart. It's that war of attrition. Sometimes you don't really have to make a decision to, listen, you don't have to make a decision to do something wrong to get here. You made a decision not to do what was right over there. All sins aren't things we did wrong. Some are things we didn't do right. All compromise, you understand? You know what Jesse DePlant has told us for years. What's this thing going to do to me when I get over here? What does sin do? Three things. It's going to keep you longer than you planned on staying. It's going to cost you more than you planned on paying. Huh? It's going to take you farther than you planned on going. Once you break that, that hole, once you get here, I told you, baby, this thing's got wheels on it. You, nobody's in control in this chair. Jacob's life was a series of conflicts because of the compromise. But here's the good news. We go to Genesis chapter 33, and he's having to go back and face his brother Esau. He thinks it's going to be another conflict. He's scared. He says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to send over gifts first. Then I'm going to, then I'm going to send more gifts over. Then I'm going to put my family at the back, and we're going to split you in groups so that this guy can't kill us all at one time. That was his future. And so he sent him over. And that night, Jacob, who had lived his life right here, meets a holy God. Genesis 33. God gives him a chance. Can I give you some good news today? Just like you can slide that way in the chairs, you can come back this way in these chairs. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. You don't have to end up there. And Jacob wrestles with God. He holds on. He said, God, I'm tired of this. I'm not going to live the rest of my life like this, God. He said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. I'm not going to get out of this chair until something happens in my life. And God says, okay, get out of that chair. Come down here. I'm going to change your name. Your name has been deceiver, tricker, man of conflict. I'm going to name you Israel, a prince of men, because what we used to be, we don't have to be for the rest of our life. We can come back over here. Your life doesn't have to be lived in conflict. But you can't come to compromise. You've got to come back here. Finally, let me read this in Genesis 35. We see what happens. He's had his encounter with God. And two chapters later, this is what we read. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel, settle there. And what He said, And build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household, Listen, and to all were with him. How did, how did he get in this trouble? Well, I'm going to tell you. Get rid of all the foreign gods you have with you. And purify yourselves. And change your clothes. So he said, you know what we're going to do? We've been living over here in conflict long enough. We're going to throw our idols away. We're going to get rid of our lives. 
We're going to stop putting things in front of God. We're going to clean our act up. We're going to get ready to present ourselves to God. He says, then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Do you realize that? He said, God's been with me wherever I've gone. You said, well, Pastor, how could God be with him when he was in conflict? Because although God was with him, God could not help him because he had compromised and turned his back on God. But even over here in conflict, if you will turn to God, get rid of your idols, throw away your compromise, and come back to this chair, you're going to discover God has always been for me. God has never been against me. God has never let go of me. But over here, I could not realize it. But here, I rediscovered the goodness and the grace of God. The Bible says, this is what God says to him. God says down in this uh, verse number 10, he, or verse 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. I will give this land to your descendants. God said, I'm going to restore everything the enemy stole from you over in conflict. But you have to come back to commitment. I want you to stand with me today, and I want Pastor Joy to come, please. I I, I hope this lesson will stay in your mind. It's life. Let's all stay close, would you? I want to do something very important. Now, I'm not through. I just ask you to stand. Commitment is where God's blessing, His favor, His provision, His direction, and His goodness is found in your life. Compromise is always waiting. But compromise, I told you, is a a bill you can't pay. Because it's going to put you here every single time. So I want to ask you, honestly before God, if there's conflict going on in your life, areas that used to be blessed and now they're hard, marriage used to be sweet and now it's this, peace was in the home and now it's this, be honest with God right now. Say, God, where did I, what did I do? What did I start here that ended me up over here? Now, God, can I tell you something? Let's do what Jacob did, who became Israel. I said, I'm going to throw out stuff away. I've been depending on lies. I've been living on falsehoods. I've compromised. I've, I've lived my life on my terms. I wanted God to help me, but I didn't want Him to be Lord of my life. Anybody with me right now? God, I need to change this. I need to get back over here today. You know, today, maybe you're here to say, Pastor, I've never committed my life to Christ. Well, I can tell you, you've been over here a lot then lately. Why do people become addicted to drugs? Is it because there's some bad gene in their body? Is it because, no, 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 I can tell you what happened. Because it's a battle for your heart. It's your heart. And without Christ, what's this world? My carnal nature, the lust of my eyes, pride of life. There's a void in my life. There's no Christ in my life. So all these things are going to fill it up. It's not because this person is bad. It's because this person is empty. And maybe alcohol filled their void or drugs filled 
their void. But, you know, hatred can fill your void. Pride can fill your void. Prejudice can fill your void. All manner of things. Greed, self, despair. But the good news is, the same God who said, You know, Jacob, (laughs) I've been following you for a long time, man. Trying to bring you back. And you finally give me a chance. Come on, let's start over. I'm going to give you a new name. Let's, Let's make this thing happen. That same God's in this room right now. That same God. Today's your day to start over. Maybe for the first time, or maybe you just say, Pastor, man, I I realize my life. I've gone to sleep at the wheel. I've been sitting here, and I'm and I see this coming, Pastor. I'm going to stop it before it goes any further. I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to stop playing my rules. I'm going to go to God. 